Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca jsb. ask something of God, do you accept the answer on His terms? Or do you dictate your own terms and wonder why your request is unanswered? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers this question as it arises in the story of Naaman, who asks Elisha for a miracle, but doesn't like the answer. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, The Healing of Naaman. Well, thank you for joining us. We are studying the life of Elisha. Not Elijah, Elisha, who followed Elijah. And, you know, I have long believed that you can study the Bible by studying the people in the Bible. In fact, one day I made a chart starting in Genesis with Adam and Eve, and I charted the whole Bible based around the characters in the Bible. God wanted us to understand spiritual truth in uh, human terms, and the incarnated truth is the way we learn. So, The life of Elisha is just another chapter in that long drama of redemption. And today we're going to finish up what we started before on the healing of Naaman. You know, miracles in the Bible seem to have two purposes, at least implied, if not stated explicitly. One is to solve the problem in the life of the person who needs a miracle, and the other is to point that person to God so that he will see that the miracle is not a miracle by itself. It is temporal. But when they find God, it's eternal. So what we're learning about Naaman is really uh, helpful to us as we face the challenges of our life. Before we get into our study today, just a reminder that the resource for the month of September is our beautiful calendar, Moving Toward Hope. I try to explain this every time because it's a little bit strange to offer a calendar in the month of September, but we have done it on purpose to be of help to all of you. For instance, the calendar begins with the month of November, so it's a 14-month calendar, giving you the opportunity to write in all of your year-end dates and be ready to face the new year. And the calendar will get there in plenty of time for you to get started. It will avoid the craziness of the year-end mail, and no one will miss their calendar for the new year. Here's how you get your copy. Send a gift to Turning Point of any size during the month of September, Make sure you ask for the calendar when you send your gift, and uh, the calendar will be mailed to you. It's beautiful. You'll love having it in a place where you can see it every day. And we hope that you will help us so that we can encourage you and uh, add value to your life spiritually. Well, let's finish up what we started on Friday as we talk about the healing of Naaman. Here's how it all happened. The story is recorded for us 
in 2 Kings 5. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Syria told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing, and the letter to the king of Israel, which said, With this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. So here's this man leveraging all that money, and he's on his way to what he thinks is going to help him. Now, I have to tell you, the story is very intriguing because from this point on, everything gets all messed up. The servant who sent Naaman to Israel and the letter that arrived, those things are okay. But the letter forgot to say anything about Elisha. His name was left out of the letter. The letter just went to the king of Israel, and so the king of Israel thought that he was intended to be the one to heal Naaman. And listen to what he says in verse 7. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. The king didn't understand it at all. What was he going to do with the leper? He didn't know how to heal anybody. And he thought that the king of Syria was setting him up for some sort of an argument. And the Bible says he was so upset, he tore his clothes. What a contrast with this young slave girl who was so simple and insignificant, yet full of faith and expectation. She had way more faith than did the king of Israel. And now what happens is very interesting because Elisha hears what has happened. He's not in the scene He's off somewhere else. And here's what we read in verse 8. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be as white as snow, and you shall be clean. When Elisha heard that the king was all upset because he had gotten a letter from the Syrians, that the king was so upset that he tore his clothes, that was a significant moment. He went up to see what had happened. He said, what did you tear your clothes for? What is so awful that's happened? So then the king showed the letter to him, and he said, what am I supposed to do with this? I can't heal this man. Elisha said, you send Naaman to me, and he will know that there is a prophet of God in Israel. So when Naaman arrives at Elisha's house, he told the commander to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. To say that that was not a happy message for Naaman is the understatement of the Bible. He was offended by Elisha's instruction. He was an important man. He should not be treated like that. In fact, Elisha didn't even come out and meet him. He sent his servant out to talk to him, and he gave him this message. Now listen to what happened, verse 11. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy, call on the name of the Lord his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abanya, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers in Israel? 
Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Now, this is really strange. If you want to be healed, you shouldn't argue over the formula. Naaman was upset because he wanted Elisha to heal him his way. He wanted God to do God's work, but he wanted it done according to his specifications. He expected the prophet just to wave his hand over him and cure him instantly. He'd get back to his schedule, back to his money, back to his success. And he was furious that Elisha sent him to the Jordan River. The Jordan was not a very attractive river. I've been there. I've walked in it. It's a dirty, muddy body of water. It was not cold and pure and rushing like the other rivers mentioned in the text. Why not some other river in Syria, he wondered. And the answer is simple. Are you ready for this? It's very simple. God saves us on his terms, not on ours. We don't get to write the rules. He's God. He has the power to do what needs to be done. But let me tell you, he will do it his way. Don't argue with him. Let God do God and let you be man and don't get in between. I read this piercing quote. It says this, We are not so far from Naaman. We set up in our minds what we think God should or should not do. And when he apparently fails our particular line, we feel a sense of grievance. Naaman fits this mold, perhaps as we do as well. We not only want God's benefit, but we also want to specify the way in which he must bring it. So the sovereign God has become our little errand boy. I know a lot of Christians like that. God, this is what I want. I'd like to have it by next Tuesday. And God is not obligated to answer those kinds of prayers. God's ways are not always our ways. Do you know that? And sometimes, if we are honest, that upsets us. Thankfully, Naaman is redirected once again, this time by his servants. He's about to learn the path to healing comes through humility. Verse 13, his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. When Naaman climbed back up on the shore after being down in the Jordan, he had soft, smooth, spotless skin. His leprosy was gone. He was clean. It was an incredible miracle. But listen to me, friends. It was not the most important miracle that happened to Naaman that day. Naaman was not only cured of his leprosy, he was converted from his unbelief. Notice verses 15 and 16. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. And they stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. On that day, when Naaman was cured of his leprosy, he became a believer in God. This is one of the great Gentile conversion stories of the Old Testament, along with the story of Rahab and Ruth, the Ninevites and Jonah. Naaman became a believer in the God of Israel. 
So he returned to Elisha, confessing that he had rejected the false gods of Syria and turned to the one true and living God. In today's language, we would say this was the moment the commander of the army of Syria was born again. This was the moment when he became a follower of God. And apparently he thought he had to pay Elisha back. He wanted to give him some of that money he brought along with him. And Elisha would have nothing to do with it. Because you see, this is not only a story in the Old Testament, it is a type of a New Testament truth. There is no sacrifice we can ever make to atone for our sins. There is no penance we can undergo to stave off divine judgment. There is no good deed we can perform to make up for our bad deeds. There is no love we can offer to win God's affection. On the contrary, the Scripture teaches us that it is by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Men and women, if we want to be saved, we can only come and ask God for the gift of His grace, freely given in Jesus Christ, and then we will have nothing to boast about so that all the glory can go to God. I remember as a young pastor back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I had many opportunities to talk with businessmen in our community. Our little church plant was in one of the high-rent districts of the city at that time, and so many of the people who would come to visit our church were men who were like Naaman, very successful, had a great resume, if you will. And quite often when I would talk to them about being a Christian and that there was nothing they could do to become a Christian except to trust in Christ, they would argue with me. They would say, Pastor Jeremiah, don't tell me there's nothing I can do. There's nothing free in the world. There's no free lunch, Pastor. Tell me what I need to do to become a Christian. And I would say, you can't do anything. It's free. It's absolutely free. If you can do something for it, it's not a free gift and it's not salvation. Over and over, I faced that in those early days. So surprising to find it right here in the Old Testament. Here was a man who had a great resume, and he needed God, and he thought he could deal with Elisha and come up with a plan, but he had to find out, as all of us do, salvation is not for sale. It's a gift from the Almighty. There's a very strange ending to this story, and I almost want to leave it off because it doesn't contribute to the ultimate victory that Naaman won, but it's important And I want you to read it with me in verse 17. Then Naaman said, All right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place. And I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god Rimon to worship there and leans on my arm... May the Lord pardon me when I bow too. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. Now I want you to notice what's going on here because this is truly intriguing. At first glance, these are puzzling verses. But let me tell you what's going on. Naaman wanted to take two loads of the promised land back to Syria. It's far more important to him. It was there that he had found God. He didn't want to forget it. And he set up a little altar made out of that earth and he never worshiped God again except in that place that reminded him of where he found Christ. But Naaman also knew, because he was the commander of the king's army in Syria, that he would be called upon to go into the temple of Rimon, a god that was not a god. And as a new believer, he wasn't sure if that was okay. In other words, in his line of duty, 
he would be called upon to go with his boss to a place that he would not go on his own, but because he was under command, he wanted to know, is it all right for me to do this? Now, if he had asked that question in our culture today, there would have been 10 books written to help him understand the answer. But I want you to notice what Elisha said to him. Elisha's response to all of this, go in peace. The wonder-working prophet says, in other words, it's okay, you'll figure this all out. In other words, Naaman, I'm not going to chart the rest of your life for you. There are going to be decisions you're going to have to make. This will be a hard one. You may want to go do that because if you lose your influence with the king, you've lost your influence for God in that particular region. I don't know if it was right or wrong if you could make a case for it one way or the other. If he did not bow in worship but only to help the king, then certainly. But the point is, he wasn't given an answer. Sometimes when a person becomes a Christian, we load them down with a to-do list, a not-to-do list, and a stack of books to read. That can be overwhelming. Maybe it's all right to send them forward as Elisha did with the blessing, trusting, listen to me, that if God can save them from their past, he can help them figure out what to do in their future. Everywhere I go, people ask me, what is your follow-up program? And we do have a follow-up program. You know what it's called? It's called the church. You get followed up in church. And sometimes we think we got to have 10 lessons, 14 classes, a graduation. Everybody comes on the platform and gets a pin. And you can do all of that and still not have a clue what the Christian life is all about. Here's what I've learned along the way. I hope you'll never forget this. You know how you get followed up? You get followed up by the blessed Holy Spirit. That's how you get followed up. Because when you become a Christian... He doesn't just come to meet you once a week and help you learn how to live the Christian life. He comes to live within your heart, and he leads and guides you. And if you submit to him and you're open to what he says, you will know intuitively some things that are right and some things that are wrong. You know, one of the most amazing things to me is sometimes people become Christians in this church, and then they'll come and they'll tell me what they don't do anymore. I'm shocked because what they don't do anymore, I might not have ever preached on in their whole time here. Why don't you do that anymore? Well, it's not right. Well, how do you know it's not right? I just know it's not right, and I don't do it anymore. I'm very uncomfortable when I do it. Somebody once told me the Holy Spirit is like a little square wheel in your heart. And when you start to do something you shouldn't do, that little square wheel starts grinding inside and you begin to realize, well, I'm uncomfortable. How many of you know that becoming a Christian can ruin you for a lot of things you used to do? Amen? And you become a Christian, and you go to those things, and you think, why am I so uncomfortable here? You're uncomfortable because you just took Jesus to a place in your heart where you know he doesn't belong and where you don't want to be. So that's what was going on. Elisha just said to this young commander, go and God be with you. I wish there was more to the story that we could follow up on, but I don't know what happened. I'm just so proud of Elisha that he didn't try to script Naaman's life for the next 10 years of his walk on this earth. Now, before we close our Bibles, I want to ask you to think about three simple things. First of all, I want you to notice the progress in this miracle. It starts with a problem. It leads to a conversation with the young slave girl The miracle's almost derailed as the cry for help spread from one king to another. 
Then Naaman flat out refuses the solution to his miracle before his friends persuade him to humble himself and dip himself in the Jordan seven times, and ultimately he's a saved man. You know, we often talk about how somebody once comes to church, he hears the gospel, he hears it the first time, and he becomes a Christian. How many of you know that works that way sometimes? But mostly it's not that way. We come to church, we see a baptism testimony. We wonder, what's the reality of all that? We have a conversation, we read a book, we hear a radio program, we talk to a friend. Somebody dies and the reality of Christ has surrounded the family, and all of a sudden we have this impression that God is real, and that he cares about me, and he's allowed all these things to happen, as he did to Naaman, that ultimately brought him to his salvation. The progression of this miracle. Notice the promotion of it. At the center of this entire story is a young girl taken captive in a foreign land. Compared to the commander, she had no status, no significance, and she had a thousand reasons to be bitter, but she wasn't. She was confident in her God, and that changed Naaman's life. And I wonder how it impacted Naaman's wife and children and soldiers under his command. Just one girl, one word, one incidental statement changed this man's life, and it changed his family. And then I want to mention to you not only the progress of this miracle and the promotion of it, but the point of it. Let's talk about the greatest miracle in the story. It wasn't what happened to Naaman's skin. It was what happened to his heart. Naaman became a believer in the one true God, and his entire life was transformed that day. I think Naaman understood that day that his sins had been forgiven. Jesus tells us that the forgiveness of sins is the greatest miracle that can be performed, and only he can do it. In Mark chapter 2, four men brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus for healing, and Jesus asked them, Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? Listen to me. The miracle that happened to Naaman that day was truly miraculous. He came to the Jordan River covered with spots of leprosy and deformed. He came out of the Jordan River, and the Bible says his skin was like the skin of a baby. That's truly amazing, and Naaman thought it so. But what you need to understand is this. Naaman's body and his skin would one day deteriorate in the grave. But what happened to Naaman's heart and his soul was an eternal miracle that can never be in any way compared to a physical healing. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't live in an age when we see people who are blind getting their eyesight back. We don't live in an age as the age of Jesus when people like Lazarus are dead for four days and Jesus speaks a word over them and they come back to life. The next time somebody tells you that we are doing the same kinds of miracles today that Jesus did, run that one by them. When was the last time you saw somebody raised back from the dead after they've been dead for four days? And when was the last time you saw someone get their eyes back after being blind from birth? Those two miracles are preserved in the Bible, unique to the Lord Jesus, to remind us he is the only one who can save us from the blindness of our sin, and he is the only one who can raise us out of death into life. And today, that's the miracle of salvation. You may say to me, Dr. Jeremiah, I'm glad you're talking about all these miracles. I've never had a miracle in my life. Well, yes, you have. If you're a Christian, you've had a miracle. You may not have realized it when it happened, but I've asked your husband, he'll probably tell you it was a miracle. 
You ask your wife, she'll say, oh, yeah, I don't know what happened that day, but it was miraculous. My husband was changed. We've all had a miracle if we've had Christ come into our lives. And you've never experienced the miracle of God's grace. I want to encourage you to allow that miracle to happen in your life. Open up your heart and say, Lord God, I need the miracle of salvation. Jesus Christ, come to live within me. I want to be born again as Naaman was. I want my sins washed away. I want to become a Christian. Amen. Well, friends, it's an amazing thing to uh, see how God uh, uses all kinds of things to bring us to himself. The amazing truth of the gospel and how it changes lives. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about an ordinary miracle. This one is really unique. It's an outlier in this series, and you don't want to miss tomorrow and, and Wednesday as we talk about an ordinary miracle. That sounds like a oxymoron, doesn't it? How can a miracle ever be ordinary? But we'll show you that tomorrow here on Turning Point. In the meantime, let me remind you that our rally season is almost upon us. October the 5th, we're going to be in Tampa, Florida at the Yingling Center. October the 7th in Jacksonville, Florida at the Star Veterans Memorial Arena. October the 26th in Houston, Texas at the Berry Center. October the 28th in Fort Worth, Texas at the Dickies Arena. These events are free, but you need to have a ticket. You can get your tickets at davidjeremiah.org slash tour. That's davidjeremiah.org slash tour. We will electronically send these tickets to you, and you'll be ready to join us for a night of celebration and encouragement in the fall rally season here at Turning Point. A lot of other things are going on, including the Holy Land Tour in March of next year. You need to check it out when you go to our website. Make sure you're aware of all that's going on here. And uh, we'll see you right here tomorrow as we continue our study of Elisha. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2022, Moving Toward Hope. Filled with scriptures and images to encourage your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Elisha, the Double Blessed Prophet, here on Turning Point. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. 
Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game, where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. The French have a saying that puts the blame squarely where it belongs. They say, when a secret is revealed, it is the fault of the man who confided it. Did you get that? If someone tells one of your secrets, don't blame the person who spilled the beans. Blame yourself. The Bible also has a saying about secrets. Proverbs 25 verse 9 says, Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another. That is, if you have something important to say, tell it only to the person it involves and no one else. Do not tell sensitive information to insensitive people. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's rules for relationship on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.